0: In the air, the Bronze fight for the ball, and it's picked up by Miles Garrett. He's going to score! Touchdown! 25, 20, 15, 10, 5! Touchdown!
1: Nick Chubb! It's stolen. Denzel Ward, a full 100 yards to
0: glory. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. Welcome back to another episode of Nothing Rhymes with Orange. I am Dan Rather and I'm joined by my co-host Anderson Cooper. Damn it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's good, man.
0: Oh, I hate it. That's the first oh. blonde that's the first blonde guy I could think of. Oh
1: man, that's good. I've also gotten like Draco Malfoy. People have called me Draco Malfoy before. Have you ever grown? Yes. Yeah,
0: well, I
1: did when I lived in Seattle. Uh Messed with the times back in 2015. I did. Mm. It was down to my down to my shoulders. Yeah. Uh, man, that's good. That's a great intro. <laughs> yeah.
0: So for anyone who's super confused, like double checking your phone right now, uh, Riley is not here with us this week. I'm Aaron, um, producer, stats guy, and general person who makes this take longer than it should. But Riley is out this week, so Corey and I are going to press on without him. Um, he has started his mission. He joined the church of the latter day saints. He (laughs) is on, on his mission. And so he's currently traveling through the South Pacific right now. Um, learning how to create the perfect loincloth and minister to the fine folks of, um, Polynesia. Um, so we will go on without him. So you might not hear from him for a while, so we'll see when he comes back, but we are here. We're going to keep going. We're going to talk Browns. we got a lot of good stuff tonight. Um, yeah, first thing, uh, Corey, how you doing, man? I I wasn't here last week. I was in Vegas for a work trip, so I was doing the opposite of what Riley is currently up to um, and just having just a grand old time, so that was fun. So I missed last week, but I listened to the pod, sounded good. Um, how you been, man?
1: Yeah, I'm good. Football's back. You know, when, once college football starts, I really, like, I get in a zone, you know, with my charting project and all of the film work. I have a film hookup this year where I can watch, watch all 22 the next day. So it's like any spare time I have, it's just, I'm watching college tape,
0: but yeah. it's
1: cool. I'm the be- It's back. Football's back. I got the bills and the, and the Rams on over here. So.
0: Yeah. yeah. That's a, that's a surprisingly back. good matchup, not only for a Thursday night football game, but also for like a week one, like there's a lot of good week one matchups. There's a lot of times, even the good ones get drowned out just because it's the first weekend. And I feel like that one got the benefit of being on a Thursday just because it's the only thing you're watching, you know, and it's, you know, right there in kind of prime time.
1: Yeah. Love it. It's going to be a good, good, good game too, man. I love, I love Josh Allen. Love the Rams should be high scoring.
0: I have a lot of Rams players on my fantasy team too, but we won't get too much into that. Um, Yeah. So as far as the Browns go um, one of the quick things that I wanted to go over before we get into week one and preview and all that is they announced who the captains are. So uh they are Joel Batonio, Nick Chubb, Miles Garrett, Anthony Walker, and Charlie Hewlett. So they picked five for this year. Um, so yeah, I don't know what, what you think about that. I no nobody really like surprised me necessarily, but I don't know. What what do you think?
1: I thought Jacoby had a chance. You know, Jacoby's starting eleven games, everybody loves Jacoby Brissett is what you hear. Like everybody loves Jacoby Brissett. But I think it makes sense that he's not a captain as well. Uh I think it's pretty straightforward. Um. Yeah, I mean, those are the vocal guys. I mean, Charlie Hewlett and Joel Joe Batonio are the two longest tenured Browns, so that makes sense. Uh, I think it says a lot about who Nick Chubb is in in the building and how he works that a guy who says absolutely nothing is revered by his teammates like that. Uh, so that that's really cool. And then obviously, I mean, Miles is Miles. Miles has been a captain since this since this. I want to say second year in the league. He might have been a captain when he's a rookie, to be honest. He's been a captain for a long time, so that's not as surprising.
0: Yeah. I'd be interested. It'd probably take too long to look up right now, but I would be interested to see how many teams have like where their quarterback is not one of the captains. I'm sure it's, you know, the Browns are not the only one. Like The 49ers. 49ers are probably one. I was also going to guess like the Seahawks probably don't have a quarterback (laughs) captain. No, They
1: love the teammates. His teammates love
0: Geno Smith. I'm
1: almost positive. (laughs) Excuse me. Uh, Geno Smith was named a captain. Let me look it up real fast. Uh... Yeah,
0: so beyond beyond just like not, you know, obviously the quarterback is arguably the most important position on the field, but it is interesting. Like, you name a captain as like a, you know, a moral leader or like a, I don't know, like somebody who, who the team rallies around from a human being perspective, mm-hmm. and then sometimes you still have to, like, equate that with, like, how many of those guys are actually playing. Because if they do all the best, like, people in the building and it's a bunch of, you know, backup linebackers, then it would just be kind of, you know. Right. It's like having a junior varsity kid be your captain for high school football or whatever. It just wouldn't make sense.
1: Right, and Anthony Walker's kind of like that. Like, oh, it's a little iffy. But Anthony is another one of those guys that's a clear glue guy in the locker room. Like, Anthony Walker's a dude. I mean, he played for the Colts for... I think four years, four mm-hmm. years. So yeah. and and like, Derek, Shaq Leonard, my bad. Shaq Leonard was distraught when he left when he left the last offseason. So like, I think it tells you a lot about uh, just kind of how he's revered by his teammates uh, and just the kind of like vocal leader that he is in a locker room. So uh, it's not so. It's a little surprising, but it's not surprising. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't start all preseason. He's starting this week. Uh, they, they announced that he's going to start at middle linebacker this week. But yeah.
0: And I think it, kind of transitioning that a little bit into we don't necessarily need to do this for the whole um, defense or anything, but I do think it'll be interesting. Linebacker seems to be one of those positions where they're going to rotate some guys in and try to test around, see who fits, see who who works. And then, I don't know, hopefully by, what, week five, six, seven, they'll have it kind of figured out and have their main main two or three guys who they know can can go every week.
1: That would be ideal. Uh, they did say, you know, Jacob Phillips is getting to play a lot still. Uh, it, but it would be ideal if you can have a solid guy. Like, that defense is so good, you just need your middle linebacker to not be a liability. Like, Anthony Walker's not great. Like, he's not a superstar, but he's sturdy and he's dependable. So, like, if Jacob Phillips, although he has a higher ceiling, is is getting his eyes caught in the backfield and out of position, like, it's not a guy you can really put on the field right now. Um, and so I'm completely cool with, with starting Anthony Walker. And I think I said on the podcast last week that I, I thought they should make that move. Yeah, I, mean, I would have to go back and listen. But uh, yeah, so I'm I'm happy they did go that direction just because, again, like that secondary is so stinking good. And those pass rushers are so stinking good. Just like give them time to get home. And and one way you do that is by not vacating the middle of the field the way that Jacob Phillips was kind of doing uh, or getting his eyes caught on in a scramble drill, things like that. So just like just get a guy who's going to do his job and Anthony Walker's going to do his job.
0: Yeah. The other thing about that position specifically, which I think I find interesting, at least, is when you have questions at linebacker, linebacker is typically the guy that they have the green sticker on their helmet. They have the speaker in their helmet, whatever. And they're kind of the captain of the defense. They're calling the plays there or at least relaying the play calls to everyone. Um, So having that position be. Semi question mark, at least from an overall positional group is kind of interesting because a lot of time, I mean, not every team has the perfect set of linebackers, but it's just one of those things where it can throw a wrinkle. Of like if you're rotating guys in and out of that position, it's like new guy mm-hmm. kind of calling the plays or, or communicating the plays every week or, or even throughout the game.
1: Yeah, it is interesting. And I think that's probably why we'll see John Johnson. Uh, he he took it on at the end of the year, the safety uh, where wear it instead. Um, mm-hmm. Just because he is going to be a guy that's going to be on the field 100% oh, yeah. of the time. So, uh, yeah, I, I would be shocked if John Johnson doesn't have that, doesn't have the the,
0: the orange dot this year. Yeah. So, otherwise, um, kind of getting back into this week. Uh, yeah, so they named captains. um no big roster moves. Uh, I, I double-checked today. I didn't see anything, but I wasn't sure if there was anything since last week that you wanted to touch on roster-wise. Um, obviously nothing, like, mind-blowing.
1: Right. The the big thing is they, they went out and got a swing tackle with a swing tackle already on the roster, and they signed him to a three-year deal with guaranteed money going into a second year as well. So that tells you that Joe Haig is probably going to be here for a little while and I think probably is a little bit of an indictment on, on maybe where Chris Hubbard in, is in his career. Uh, definitely not beyond this year, obviously his contract expires and and that was kind of the thought that. That he wasn't uh, gonna gonna be here beyond 2022, but uh, I think it might be a little bit of an indictment of of maybe just where he's at in his career as well. Uh, like, if we don't have to put him on the field, let's not put him on the field. So, um. I think that's probably plays into it a little bit. That's the big one. I mean, they signing Jesse James, we knew they were going to go get a third tight end. They weren't going to go out with with only two tight ends on the roster. So, um, I, I'm not super shocked by either of those moves. The length, the length, and the the structure of Higgs is a little shocking, but, um, yeah, nothing too nothing too drastic.
0: Yeah, and Haig is one of those guys. I I watched him a little bit because he was on the Colts for a lot of years. He's really good, so I think he'll be a good. You know, I don't know necessarily that he's your all-star, obviously, like they're signing him at the last second, but I think that's a pretty good safety net.
1: I think so too. And I think so. Um, so when I, when I see that, he, you know, he has money going into next year and I, I, again, they haven't played a single game yet. So like all of this is conjecture, but like, I think that also tells me that they feel comfortable with maybe James Hudson playing right tackle next year. Mm-hmm. So kind of how I would have felt more comfortable. Cause I think Jack Conklin's probably gone. He restructured his contract fully guaranteed, took a pay cut. Uh, to fully guarantee you, this is his last year in Cleveland, Uh, the last year on his contract. Again, if he plays well and decides, you know, whatever. But he almost retired. He almost retired in the offseason after all of his injuries. So, like, this is clearly thinking, like, uh, I'm getting towards the end. And he's not even that old. But, like. I was going to say,
0: he's only 28. Uh,
1: yeah, but he's he's been pretty beat up. He's been pretty beat up. So, um. I tend to think that he's probably... And again, he could play really well this year and they could they could work something out. But I tend to think he's probably gone after this year, too. But what I would have thought is I would feel more comfortable with James Hudson as that swing guy. And then you go out and draft another tackle to play right tackle. Uh, this tells me... I mean, again, $500,000 guaranteed going into next season isn't like a backbreaking amount of dead money if Haig doesn't pan out and you cut him. It's not backbreaking at all. Whatever. Good for Haig for getting half a million dollars in case things don't go south. Whatever. Uh... But it would tell me that I think they feel at this point, like, oh, by next season, James might be there. Um, So I think that would be my biggest takeaway from that.
0: An offensive line is something that the Browns have had a lot of pride in, at least their last year or two. And it seems like if you're going to build your offense around being a powerful running offense, now – obviously like getting Deshaun Watson and hopefully getting some more receiving options in the coming years. Like you want to get back to more balance, but their identity has been running the ball. And if you let your, one of the hallmarks of that, the offensive line crumble a little bit or or wither away, then you don't have that anymore. You don't like you're losing a piece of your identity by not continuing to like upkeep that, I guess like do, do maintenance on, on that part of your offense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And again, a big thing with the Browns has been that their offensive line depth has been extraordinary. And so I think safeguarding that is is a solid bet into the future because you have a lot of dudes on one, like on their, on their last year uh, along that group. So, you know, safeguarding that in the future is at least a good move
0: uh, heading into 2022. All right. Well, moving on to week one. Uh, real quick, before we get into the actual game, um, always got to have a little Baker jab in here. Um, <laughs> I, I'll let you take this one away. Cause you're, you're more of an expert on it, but I guess, uh, miles left Baker on red. Is that, is that what I'm hearing? I, yeah. Cleveland.com
1: put out an article that said, you know, Miles said, yeah, he sent me a text after he got traded and, you know, said he enjoyed our time together. I just, you know, I didn't respond. I didn't know how to respond. So just kind of let it be. So, yeah that should tell you some things about.
0: Yeah. And I was listening to another podcast earlier today that was talking about how like, you know, that Baker being who he is and the personality that he is, is going to be used as a motivational tool by Kevin Stefanski to get the team up and get them ready to play. But publicly they haven't said anything like a couple of months ago or whatever, when, or I guess a month ago, whenever it was that miles was like, yeah, we don't really have a rivalry with, Baker, if he actually feels that way, like if he really doesn't care, I think that's a problem. I think that's just him, you know, kind of having the PR mouthpiece kind of approach where it's like, okay, I'm going to say what I should say. I don't want to start anything. I don't want to make this worse than it is. But like, I have a feeling that inside that locker room, like his picture, Baker's picture might not be taped on the wall, but in a sense, it I bet it's taped on the wall. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I mean, you you, you
0: heard a lot of stuff about you know, guys who, who uh,
1: it's been reported that they straight up have told they told the Browns last season, like, if this guy's back, I'm not coming back. Like there's clearly a divided locker room at the OB with the OBJ stuff, like and a lot of it wasn't on the side of their quarterback, which pissed a lot of fans off, but at the same time like we've talked about this ad nauseum, like <sighs> he's kind of immature. Not kind of, he is immature, like that rubs teammates the wrong way. Like it is, it is is what it is at this point. Like Baker wasn't liked by the majority of teammates. Sure, Austin Hooper, sure Wyatt Teller, like Joel petonia would never say a bad thing about him. Like sure teammates would never openly bat, like, bad like badmouth their teammate, but like they didn't like this dude.
0: Yeah, and I think like obviously Baker, if if he's really good at one thing, it's finding a way to put a chip on his own shoulder and use that to play well. And I think a lot of the times when he does play well, it's he's a very emotional player. I don't think anyone denies that. And so I think one of his strengths is, is using that emotion to fuel like how good or, you know, how how well he plays each week. And I think that if he is going to do that in a public setting, that, that has a ripple effect on everybody else. So I'm, I'm curious and I don't know that we'll ever get an answer on it, but I'm curious to know how that's affected the rest of the the guys on the Panthers roster. Like, do you think Christian McCaffrey cares as much about beating the Browns? Or you know, or cares more now than maybe he would have if Baker wasn't there or whatever. Like things like that. So I'm I'm just curious how that like little ripple, you know, affects things.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean they voted him a team captain, so I mean <laughs> Again, what I hope for Baker, not week one because I want to win, but like <laughs> I hope it was a wake-up call, man. I hope it was like a humbling moment for him to realize like, oh shit, maybe I should go work with the quarterback coach in the offseason, which he did. Maybe it's him saying, Oh shit, maybe I shouldn't play so much Halo. Maybe I should take better advantage of like this opportunity that I have. I, I hope that's what happens, but like his demeanor, his leadership style doesn't work when he's playing like shit and he's not taking it seriously. And it was very obvious, at least this past year, that he didn't. So like sure, I, I'm good. Baker, I hope you play well. But, like, you're in Carolina with Matt Rule and Ben McAdoo. So, you're not really in the best environment. Good luck.
0: One other side note about the Panthers. Beyond Ben McAdoo's name, which just sounds like it's, you know, McAdoo, it just sounds like a goofy name, whatever. I remember I saw a picture of him when he was a head coach of the Giants. And he had this, like, goofy haircut that he looked like he'd watch too much Peaky Blinders or something. And, like, I don't know, he's a bigger guy. Like, just his whole aura tends to crack me up. So like using him a as a punchline is like <laughs> I don't know. It's perfect. All right. So getting into the game. The spread, uh, I believe the Vegas line as of right now on my computer says it's one and a half. So very close. A lot of uh other that's the Vegas like MGM one. Uh a lot of other um sports book has it pretty similarly. Uh very, very close. Some of them are as low as like 0. 0.5. So um I'm gonna need your official prediction Browns win or Browns loss.
1: I think they win, man. Again, it's supposed to be really nasty weather-wise, and I think that plays into the advantage of the Browns. Like you have Nick Chubb, you have Kareem Hunt, so like the less the ball is in the hands of Jacoby Percet, the better. But like they can't go out and they can't go down, get down by more than two scores. If they're by two scores or more, if they go down by two scores, then you're forcing the ball into the hands of Jacoby Percet, and you're forcing the ball into the hands of this really bad wide receiver core. So that's not what you want to do. Uh, so I think as long as they can stay within a score or play like at neutral or with a lead, like they're going to be okay. They're going to be okay because they're very good at controlling the games. Stefanski is very good at four minute offense. He's very good at controlling games. So, uh, but like, you gotta, uh, you gotta make sure that you're not, you don't have to lean on Jacoby Brissett because when that happens, the moment that happens is the moment I start to panic a little bit.
0: Yeah. And the other thing, I'll be interested to see is, and i ask you about this now because we're kind of talking offense already. Is there any, you, I want to caveat this at the beginning by saying that obviously most people understand that a preseason game is not where you derive like how good or bad a team is going to be like preseason. They're not scheming against people. They're using it more as a test to figure out who they want on the roster. And then even towards the end of camp, they're they're basically using it as like a a lab like a test dummy kind of a situationally. So they're not scheming, you're not taking a lot away from a preseason game about how good or bad an an offense or a defense is going to be. But but I don't think it's anyone was overly impressed with what they saw in some of the preseason games. And you want to see some of those like big flashes here and there, even if it's not a a dominating performance in a preseason game. Mm -hmm. So my question is do you have any real questions or big issues in your mind on the offense based on what you you have seen from the preseason game or do you think that's pretty much a function of not having multiple offensive starters playing like Jacoby is the one big new piece and I mean there's other new pieces on the team as well but you know he has not played in a preseason game with this is I don't think there's a comprehensive list but at the very minimum Nick Chubb Kareem Hunt uh, Amari Cooper Joel Batonio and Jack Conklin, that's five pro bowlers that he has not lined up in a game with yet. So you really haven't seen him with all the ones in a game yet in 2022. So is some of those things that you you're missing on offense in the preseason game, is that just because they're not all playing with the ones or is, do, do we think there might be a bigger issue?
1: There's a lot of factors. I mean, I think there is definitely a little bit of an issue uh, with with the lack of success that we saw. Uh, I, I don't know if it's worth panicking over at this point. Um, but, like, there wasn't really a rhythm anytime the first team offense was on the field. And that's that's a little bit concerning. That's a little bit concerning. Um, but, again, preseason, you said, is, is for evaluating players. And they were truly, really trying to evaluate a certain wide receiver. And they, that last game, I mean, they force fed him the football. Like, there was no doubt in my mind they were force feeding him the football. So, like, You've got to take things with a grain of salt in terms of, of, of preseason football. Uh, I mean, we've seen, like, Brandon Whedon come out and bite at the preseason, and he stinks out loud in the regular season. So, like, defenses aren't showing you what they're going to, like, exotic stuff. Offenses aren't, aren't aren't running exotic stuff. I mean, you, would, again, would have loved to see something. Something a little bit more flashy, but uh, not not overly concerned. Not overly concerned.
0: And that's not to say that there aren't any concerns on the offense. Like obviously everyone's worried about the receiving core, the quality of quarterback play from Jacoby versus what it will hopefully be when Sean comes back, those kinds of things. But I guess I think you would have liked to see a little bit more of a baseline in some of those preseason games, even like in the first couple of drives, just to see a couple of good things where you get on that rhythm that you're talking about. And that just wasn't there. So I was mostly just asking again because he didn't get to play in those games with some of those bigger guys. So I guess offensively, what's one thing you're going to be looking for on Sunday? Like maybe a question that you haven't seen an answer to that you're hoping to get answered here in a couple of days.
1: Yeah. Uh, one. Can Amari Cooper take on the workload he's going to need to t- take on? And two. Outside of David Njoku, who's going to be that third pass catcher? Like, outside of a Cooper and Njoku, like, there's not a single proven pass catcher on this team. Consistent proven pass catcher on this team. So, who's going to step up? I need to see it. Like, And again, the weather's going to be sloppy, so hopefully we can control the clock, uh, stay within, you know, again, within seven points or play with the lead would be ideal. Uh, but, like, it's unrealistic to think they're not going to have to air the ball out. So, when they have to air the ball out, like, what are we doing? Who's stepping up? Who are they targeting? What's the scheme? Uh, I tend to think it's, it's going to be David Bell. Uh, I'm not ready to bury Anthony Schwartz yet like everybody else is, but uh, I definitely have concerns.
0: Um, but
1: who's going to be, man? Who's going to
0: be? Yeah. That that next man up mentality is great until you have actually have to actually like live it out and then you're stuck with some guy that no one's ever heard of and I don't know. The, the other thing that actually segues really nicely into something that I was listening to the last week's episode um, while I was recovering um, from my fun in Vegas. And it, I was just like so mad at myself that I wasn't here because it, this, this works perfectly. But you guys talked about this a little more last week as far as the receiving core and things like that. But this stat I found. So um, in 2012, this just kind of goes goes to show how necessary it is to have a good, Passing game. So, ten years ago, in 2012, the two teams that played in the Super Bowl finished 12th and 16th in total passing EPA. It was the uh, Ravens and the 49ers. Also, by the year, by the way, that year, that year, a running back won the MVP. Um, last year, all the teams that won a playoff game. So there's six of them. They finished first, fourth, fifth, seventh, eighth, and ninth. Mm-hmm. in total passing EPA. So it's no longer like a negotiation as to whether or not you need to have an elite passing offense to be a team that goes deep into the playoffs. And yeah, I just think that's need- like, it's it's necessary. Like you can't, I mean, the days of the, you know, 70s and 80s, like Chicago Bears style of things, they're gone. And there might be a, a An exception to that here and there, but I don't think anybody should be counting on that. No,
1: which is like so head scratching just how data driven this team is. And like, there's data out there that shows that wide receiver is like the hardest position to just like swap in a guy off the street. Like there are some positions like center. That you can get away with swapping a guy off of the street for for a quality starter. Wide receiver is like at the top of the list of positions you can't do that. And the lack of emphasis on that position doesn't add up for me. Like it doesn't compute. Like if you look at the teams who have historic like won the Super Bowl the past years. Like look at the Rams. They went out and got OBJ to pair with Cooper Cup to pair with Van Jefferson. Uh, like the year before that, Tom Brady was thrown to Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Antonio Brown. Like. The Dallas Cowboys selected CeeDee Lamb in the first round with Amari Cooper and Mike, Michael Gallup already on the roster. Like, There are teams out there making an emphasis to go get pass catchers because they see that they are so freaking important. So freaking important.
0: Yeah, And, and you know, that's
1: what's most frustrating to me.
0: Yeah, it's, it's like if you know this is the formula to win, this is how you do it. It's been clearly demonstrated for the last, I don't know, however many, five, six, seven years that it's like every team that wins is built this way. And if every team – now, there's some teams that can't afford to do that, like just from roster structure and things like that, like salary cap that they have carried over, all those th- sorts of things. But I agree with you. I think it's a little it's a little frustrating, a little head-scratching when you're watching your team do something that kind of flies in the face of sound, proven logic on how to win and win late in the playoffs. So now we got to count on uh,
1: what is he now? He's a uh, this is third season a thirty or sixth round pick, who historically only wins vertically, uh, a guy who will give you consistently twelve games every year, uh, playing in cold weather with, with hammy and Gorin issues. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that cold. Third round rookie and two two third round like dudes who are twenty years old. So
0: that's where we're at. Well, you know, you hope you know what they'll be drafting for next year. I guess you would hope you
1: got to see who's going to be on the board in the forties, maybe the sixties, how good the fifties or sixties, depending on how good they are. Once week 12 rolls around
0: and where previous to that, but yeah, it's, it's rough. Well, let's switch over to the defense. Um, That's definitely one of the brighter spots on this team. I don't think anybody other than Riley's Lord and savior, Cade York, which I think I want to know, is he giving him up now since he's joined the Mormon church? Where does Cade York fit into his hierarchy of deities? Oh, man. I'll have to ask him that, and I'll report back to you guys. Um, so other than that, uh, I think defense is definitely a bright spot on the team. Um, but, I, you know, obviously they're not perfect. Uh, we've talked a lot about defensive tackle in the past. We've talked a little bit about linebackers tonight. What's a question mark you have on defense that you're hoping gets answered this week?
1: Defensively, I mean, it's it's clearly the defensive tackles. Clearly, the defensive tackles, like, it's a bold, bold move to go into the season with Taven Bryan and Brian Jordan Elliott. They played pretty well in the preseason. I'm not going to lie. I was a little bit a little bit impressed with how well Taven Bryan and Brian Jordan Elliott kind of played. And it was average, but, like, okay. It's better when we – I mean, we had two bottom bottom-tier defensive tackles a year ago. And Malik McDowell and Malik Jackson. And that's not an exaggeration. Like, these dudes were, like, in the 30s and 40s of defensive tackles uh, in the NFL. So – uh, average would be a significant improvement. And this was a top top tier defense near the end of the year last year, even with that. You gotta get off the field in third down, which they kind of struggled with a year ago. But I mean, again, we're talking about one of the best one of the best secondaries in the NFL. We're talking about one of the best duos of pass rushers, including per, probably, in my opinion, the best pass rusher in the NFL on this team. The back like the back end is is built to support the front end to allow them to get home. So uh, this defense is gonna be really good, but like how well can if you want to stay out in front, like you gotta not get gashed against the run early on. And McCaffrey, you know, has, has a little, a little ding. He wasn't, wasn't full, fully practicing. So, uh, I would expect him to play, but, uh, I mean, that's clearly the the, the big hole is the defensive tackles.
0: Yeah. And, and that's one thing too, that if you're going to put your defensive identity in being a elite passing defense, it's not like if you and I sitting here at home can figure that out, I can guarantee you NFL head coaches can figure that out. And how they scheme against that and work around that, I'll, I, that's what I'll be interested to watch. Because there is you know, a scenario where I'm, I'm sure it's going to happen a couple of weeks this year where the Browns defense gets just totally smashed by a great running back, some, some team that has a great offensive line. And then how they bounce back from that. What other teams kind of copy that method and try to, you know, those adjustments are what I'm getting at, I guess, is those adjustments are what makes defenses good uh, versus great. So I will be interested to see that if that is truly a weakness on the team, like what, what do they do to make up for that? Like, are they going to play more in the box? Are they going to do some more disguised blitzes? Like what sort of things can you do to make up for what, most people who pay attention can see is a, a weaker point in your, in your defense.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I again they're not like super, they aren't super, super. I mean, they've never been super. I am saying super a whole lot. Uh,
0: <laughs> super
1: dialed in on needing to, to clog up running lanes. I think they trust their linebackers to, to make tackles, like just fill a gap and make a tackle. Uh, and for the most part, I mean, BJ Goodson was, was okay. Anthony Walker's fine. Uh, So, like, they have the middle linebackers to at least be in position or have historically. So I think they're okay with that. But, like, how long can you get away with that? Like, how successful of a model is that? Like, it it didn't hurt them clearly down the stretch last year. I mean, they they were a a top-tier defense.
0: Um, Yeah. One thing I'm seeing just for this week is that Grant Delpit is questionable. Do you have any concerns there? I haven't done a ton of research. on whether or not he'll be uh,
1: so he was limited. So he that means he practiced a little bit. If he were like out out of practice still, then I would be a little bit more concerned. But uh I I think I think it's okay. I think he'll play.
0: Yeah, and again, that's to me, that's the strongest part of the defense. Like if you know in an awful circumstances he he couldn't go, I do feel really good about The depth there, you know, similar. I think, I think other than offensive line, I think defensive back is where this team is deepest. And I, you know, that makes me feel good knowing that like, again, we just talked about how passing heavy this league is like people are focusing on that and the Browns are doing the same thing. And I think it, it makes them a little bit stronger on defense. So not super worried overall. Um, so you've already mentioned that, um, You think the Browns are going to win? I tend to agree. Um, I know Riley agrees, and we'll get to that in a few minutes. But um, anything else for this week that you're looking at? Anything else you're interested in beyond the obvious?
1: Oh, I want to see Denzel Ward and Greg Newsome just have a day. Like, I want to see those dudes just have a day. And I would obviously love to see Baker Mayfield throw, like, four (laughs) interceptions, Just, like, icing on the cake. Yeah. That's really it, man. I I just want to see the Baker Mayfield we saw last year. That'd be amazing. After all the shit of, like, this offseason and people like, oh, it's his fault. No, it's his fault. No, it's his fault. It's like, okay. Just, like, let's get on the field and play. Most, most important, like, I'm just ready for week one to be over because I'm tired of talking about Baker freaking Mayfield.
0: Yeah. You could finally leave him in the rearview mirror afterward. Like, even if, well, if God forbid the Browns were to lose you'd still talk about it for at least another week, but then eventually you, you'd play some other games and it would become more in the rearview mirror. But I, we are on the home stretch of Baker Mayfield being a topic of discussion. I could eat my words later. Who knows? Maybe they, something else crazy happens in week three. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, man. I think it would be like almost emotionally cleansing, like super just refreshing to just beat the shit out of the Panthers and have, like you said, have him throw, like, four interceptions, just the ugliest, like, nastiest game from him that you could possibly imagine. Like, I just feel like that would be so cathartic for Browns mm-hmm. fans to just be, like, all oh, the last three months have felt like three years, dealing with all this other stuff, you know, throughout the offseason. He's, you know, not made it any less complicated. And so I think it would just be a nice, like, catharsis to just really, you know.
1: It would be. and be a palate cleanser for sure. Yeah get out of there with the wind and make it look good. Yes. You don't have to look good. Just get out of there with
0: the wind. Yeah. If you win, that's all that really matters is if you win. And I mean, it's, it's at Carolina. So I think that adds a little bit of like pain to the other side. If, you know, if the Panthers were to lose, it's nice to do that on the road. Um, and like you said, weather could be an issue. So I think it's going to be a really fun game. It's going to be definitely one of the ones I'm watching, um, this weekend. So, all right. Um, Real quick before we get out of here, uh, got a couple of things. One is we're gonna do our survivor bet again this year. Uh, I'm gonna jump in. We are gonna figure out what the punishment will be for the loser. Um, I think we're gonna each come up with an idea possibly, and then we'll have you guys vote on it on Twitter. So that should be fun. So probably not drink a
1: 12 pack this year since you know no. it's not not super safe.
0: No, that's not safe. Uh I've seen some good ideas online though. So I think we're gonna come up with some ideas in the next couple of weeks and then have you guys vote on it. So we'll do that here in a minute. Riley uh used a carrier pigeon to send his uh pick in to me earlier today. So I have that ready to go. Um also I want to hear, Corey, what you think record prediction for the Browns this year since we, you know, this is our last, you know, before regular season football. What's your what's your final thoughts on what do you think? And end of year record is going to be for the Browns. End of the regular season, I guess.
1: Yeah, you know, I think you have to win ten, and that's minimum. Like, only one team with less than ten wins made the playoffs last year. It was the Steelers, and they had a tie in there. So I think ten is the bare minimum. Uh, I don't know, man. Like, I got to look at this. Okay, so the first four you're playing Baker Mayfield, Joe Flacco, which has been confirmed. Probably Mitch Trubisky and probably Marcus Mariota, your first four games. I feel good that you can come out of that two and two, three and one. I would hope you can come out of that three and one. Hopefully, you can come out of that four and oh. Yeah. I think the Jets could be a little tricky. I and mean, Flacco's a vet. You know, I like their coaching staff, I like some of the tools they got. Uh, but like, also look at those offensive lines they're playing. The Carolina's got the best offensive line they're going to play. The Jets' offensive line, Makai Becton's out for the year. Steelers' offensive line has been nothing but garbage all preseason. Falcons' offensive line is also garbage. So, like, I tend to think you can come out of this four 0 like, three and one minimum. You hit a rough stretch with the Chargers. Patriots, I I actually think Patriots is a winnable, winnable game. You got Matt Patricia Collins plays there. Uh, but, like, Chargers, Ravens, Bengals, and then you got the Dolphins, too, and then Bills, Bucks before he comes back. So, like, Chargers, Ravens, Bengals, Bills, Bucks, you're probably not winning those games without, without. With with Jacoby percent. So like
0: So you think they're going six and five by the time they get to week twelve?
1: Let's say five and six. Let's say okay. five and six well, one, two, three, four, four three, four. Four and seven would give you one, two, three, four, five, six. Four and seven's the minimum. Yeah, I'll say five and six. If they can get to week twelve, five
0: and six, I'll feel good. Okay. So your final prediction is that the Browns win ten games? And that feels steep.
1: That feels really rough. But y- 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 I'll say nine. I'll say nine.
0: That's right where I was gonna say too. I I'm pinning them at nine wins for the year. That's my like that's my prediction. Write it down. I didn't ask Riley about that. I'll have to send another carrier pigeon. I don't think that carrier pigeon will be back by the time we finish this episode. But um you guys can hear that next week and we'll give them a freebie. Um all right, so we're kind of in agreement there. Uh, really quick, I did want to do um, a couple of stats before we get into our survivor bet to finish it out. So these are just some things that I had built up over the last year-ish uh, that never really had a chance to um, get used. Hang on a second. My UV is freaking out right next to me, so I'm going to pause right. That's fun to edit that out. Now we'll leave it in. We'll leave it in. We'll let people know what, what the real world is really like. <laughs> um. Yeah, so stats uh, for the last year that I've kind of built up didn't have a chance to use them. So I just figured, you know what? They're interesting. People want to hear things. And uh, so I'm going to tell them to you now. So I have one, two, three, four, five of them, I think. Yeah. So the first one, <laughs> this is going to be Corey's favorite of all of them. Since 2017, for the San Francisco 49ers, Jimmy G's win-loss record as a starting quarterback, is 35 and 15. Every other quarterback who has played for the 49ers in that time frame combined is 8 and 28. And that was going to be my stat to say bring Jimmy G, but obviously that's not happening. So you had a nice laugh about that on Twitter. All right, next one. In the last 18 Super Bowls up until 2022, um, so right before this past year's Super Bowls, the last 18 Super Bowls, with exception to last year, have contained one of these things. Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, and the San Francisco 49ers. For 18, is year one,
1: th- 18 years, one thing has connected those things?
0: No, I'm saying in, for the last 18 Super Bowls, if you up until 2021, so this past year with the Rams uh-huh. and the Bengals, was not this way. So right before that Super Bowl. 18 previous Super Bowls to that have contained either Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, or the San Francisco 49ers.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. For a while there, the AFC was literally like if you had a three-sided coin, just like between the Patriots, Steelers, and Colts. Mm-hmm. Like for a long time, it was just that.
0: Well, it was mostly the Patriots and the Steelers. The Colts snuck in there here and there, but. Um, yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. There was only four things connecting all those. It helps that the 49ers were good for a long time too, but. Um, all right. This one's uh, my favorite one, I think, of the four that I have. So, the all-time list of the most receiving yards after turning aged 40 in NFL history. Jerry Rice comes in at number Uh, one with 2,169 yards. Number two on that list is Tom Brady with six yards. Really? Not a single other person. Hold on.
1: I could have sworn Terrell Owens played in, like, at age 40. Maybe not. I believe you. That makes I, sense. I checked it twice because I was like, no, I it thought it was 27. Yeah, that's true. That Wide receiver's favorite? not an easy position to play when you're older and you've lost your twitch and you've lost your burst. Like, how do you get old? Oh. Hey,
0: which uh, Jerry Rice was my second favorite player. I mean, he played a lot, like a little before I was like really, really watching football, but he was a guy I really liked.
1: So I looked at Terrell Owens just to check this, and now I just have to say it because it's absurd. Dude played, t- 2010 was his last year he played for the Bengals. He was 37. His last four years, so 34, 35, 36, 37. Let's do last five years, 33 years to 37 years old. Dude caught, had 1,100 receiving yards, 1,300 receiving yards, 1,000 receiving yards, 800 receiving yards, 1,000 receiving yards, his last five years in the league. That's,
0: that's pretty wild. Years.
1: Yeah, that's ridiculous. And he's still playing. I think he played in that fan controlled
0: league for a little yeah. bit. Zone. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to watch that, but I feel like it's not. I don't know if it's on real TV or not. Like I've got to figure out where I can stream it, but it does right. look interesting. Right. All right. Last one is this past Super Bowl. Joe Burrow versus Matthew Stafford is only the second time ever that a starting uh, quarterbacks in the Super Bowl matchup is two number one overall picks. The only other one is when Peyton Manning defeated Cam Newton in Super Bowl 50. Just a little nugget about the Super Bowl. I had a couple of Super Bowl things lined up that didn't get going. So anyway, that's my stat dump. I hope you guys thought that was interesting. I'm sure some were, were fun and some were boring. So I'm sorry to have wasted all of your time. Last one. This is this is what you guys are really here for, our survivor bet. So if, if you guys don't know how this works, every week, Uh, each of the three of us are going to pick one game where we pick the winning team of that game. Once we have picked that team. So for instance, well, yeah. once we have picked that team, we can no longer use that team for the rest of the year. So if someone picks, you know, whoever week one, they cannot, they can no longer pick that team as their pick for, for any other week, the rest of the year. So, and then at the end of the year, the, the amount of points you get is the amount of, you know, however many times you're right. And then I think, like we said, when we get to the end, when we figure out who has the least amount of points or least amount of wins, then that person's going to be doing something ridiculous. And TBD, you guys can help us vote and come up. Feel free to tweet us some suggestions. Got to do my obligatory like, rate, and review, comment, subscribe, whatever it is on your platform of choice. Should have done that at the beginning, so now I can no longer give Riley any shit for not doing that. But Survivor Bet. Um, I will go for Riley first, since he sent me his. Uh, I'm going to read his exact text message to me. I'm sorry, carry your message. Um, My survivor pick is the grounds. Get some.
1: (laughs) Sounds about right. Yeah. Sounds like Riley. I just,
0: uh,
1: I don't like it. I wouldn't, I mean, so I I like the strategy of trying to get mid teams, Like Mm. the Browns are going to be mid for a while. Like, yep. that's just – that's the reality of it. Getting it out of the way early, but, like, get rid of mid-teams against bad teams. Like, not evenly – like, I, this game's going to be pretty even for the most part. Probably, like, looking at the current state of these teams. Uh, more power to you, Riley.
0: Yeah. Good for him. He's, he's – I think he- – I'm not gonna say he's doing it for content. I I think he's doing it for his own internal motivation because it just wants. I think he wants to just get up a little more for this game. So I think he's just he's trying to start off all gas no breaks. So respect to him for doing that. Um. All right, you can go next, Corey. Who are you picking? Yeah.
1: So, I I was thinking about the Saints and the Falcons. Uh, but like. The Saints and the Falcons in the NFC West, which is a significantly worse division than the AFC West. The AFC West is all really good. So what I don't want to happen have happen is that I have to hold on to the Broncos until they're playing another AFC West team. So I'm taking the Broncos this week. Uh, because I don't want to have to pick them against the Chiefs or the Raiders or the uh, Chargers. So I'm taking the Broncos this week. Uh, they're, I mean, Russell Wilson's good, so, like, I hate to, like, use a good quarterback, burn it early, but, like, I just don't want to get stuck with the Broncos against another AFC West team.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I, I'm nervous about picking—I I like your logic. I would be nervous—and this applies to Riley's situation as well, I guess—picking a, um, a team that has a brand-new starting quarterback— unless and the first it's time like, head coach yeah unless it's like you know like let's say in some fantasy land that Aaron Rodgers had moved to teams or whatever like that, that would kind of counteract that but generally speaking when you have a a brand new starting quarterback you just haven't like we talked about earlier you haven't seen it in the preseason that would make me nervous but i think it's an you know overall not a bad pick you got to you know you got to risk it to get the biscuit as they always yeah. say
1: and Riley continuously wants the biscuit, so.
0: Yeah, he wants the biscuit. More than anybody else. And sometimes I think he doesn't want the biscuit. Like I think he wants to lose the biscuit. We were talking <laughs> about this before we started recording. I think he secretly wants to lose. Like, he'll say he doesn't, and he's going to, like, talk a bunch of shit. And now that he's not here, I can say this without getting interrupted. But um, I think he kind of likes the attention of losing. Like, I think he wanted to drink those 12 beers. Like, if our punishment ends up being, like, taking a blow up doll to a restaurant on a date. Like, I think he wants that to happen to him secretly, like somewhere deep down, like he needs the losing spotlight. I don't know, We'll power to him because I don't want it. So <laughs> he can have it. He can have it. All right. My, my pick is Patriots over dolphins. Um, I think the Patriots division will be really interesting this year. I think it's going to be, a lot of meh kind of teams, but I think this might be one of the weeks where they have a pretty solid chance of uh, pulling out a W. So I'm going to, I'm going to snag the Patriots. Normally I feel like any other year a Patriots pick would be like, Oh, why are you wasting it on a game like this? But
1: I'm not as sold as Matt on Mac Jones as everybody else is, but I think you're pretty safe against the dolphins.
0: Yeah. And, and that's my point is like, I think because I'm not as sold on Mac Jones, I don't know that I trust the Patriots for that many other weeks throughout the year. Enough to not pick them now, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Patriots.
1: Love it, love it, love it. So we got the Browns, the Patriots, and the Broncos as our survivor picks
0: this week. That's right. That's what we got. But yeah, man, one o'clock Eastern on Sunday in Charlotte, North Carolina. I've been to that stadium actually. Uh, when I worked at Mississippi State, uh, we played in the Belk Bowl, ironically against Jacoby Brissett. Against Jacoby Ah, Brissett. I worked for Mississippi state. uh, And that's when Dak Prescott was playing there and played against NC state with Jacoby Brissett as the opposing quarterback. It's a nice little stadium. If you've never been there, Charlotte's a really cool town. I like it. So should be good. uh, Television at the very least. And obviously pulling for a Browns win. As I said before, make sure you subscribe, review, follow us on Twitter, tell your friends, sponsor us, you know, all the usual stuff. Um, Love it. Yeah, man, that's that's pretty much all we got this week. Corey, you got anything else you want to throw in there? Any last-minute jabs at Riley? Undefined. Oh, man. He's
1: way better at this than I am of coming up with things off the top of his head. Oh, man, I should have written something down. Uh, <laughs> you're lucky, Riley. Jeez. Uh,
0: no, gonna, I don't have anything. I'm going to quote really... that and frame it. Ah, you're, you're lucky, Riley. Jeez. <laughs> that's, that's sound like word. Morty from Rick and Morty. Yeah. That sentence. Ah, geez. Oh, geez, Rick. Yeah, man. All right. Bummer. Well, for, uh, for Anderson Cooper and myself, really appreciate you guys listening. Um, hopefully we'll get some other guests as well coming up in the next couple of weeks. Got some, some of those things working, um, in the works, but yeah. Other than that, enjoy the game. We will talk to you guys after the weekend. This is Nothing Rhymes with Orange.